Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrero, of course, alongside Levin Black. Levin, let the healing begin. I am already <laughs> attempting to fool my brain into turning the page to the 49ers offseason. All I know is they didn't win the Super Bowl, just like they didn't win the Super Bowl in 2018 and 2017 and 2016. I'm just into that mode now. I'm, I'm turning my thoughts to the offseason and the season to come. So what we kind of want to do in this podcast is run through some of the decisions the 49ers are going to have to make with some of their bigger name free agents, maybe some of the cap casualties, and an early look at where they could go in the draft. How are you feeling now, weeks removed from some sort of big game that I suddenly can't remember? I'm not quite as far along as you are. Uh, I'm better than I was, but until things actually start to happen, I feel like once the first shoe drops, on this offseason, the Niners make their first big decision, whatever it may be. It'll be like an instant switch. But until then, it's just like, you know, go, going to work today, I was like, nobody asked me how I'm doing. You know, don't don't bring up, don't bring it up, don't bring it Because I've been asked a few times by coworkers, hey, have you gotten over it yet? No, just stop talking about it. Leave me alone. Yeah, that's the thing. I'll never get over it, but I'm trying to focus on different things here. You know, you got to. Got to move forward. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, when this comes out, we will be basically one month from the start of the official free agency period, not the legal tampering thing, but the actual you know official start. So let's look at some of the decisions the 49ers are going to have to make. Um, one of the biggest probably is the fate of Eric Armstead. Coming off a career year, had more sacks this year than he had in his entire 49ers career to date. Some people think he's a key piece. I tend to think that his cost is going to be so high that it's not going to be worth it for the 49ers to keep him, especially when you consider the expenses they're going to have as a team going forward. I just think that the D-line has enough depth and they're so good there that you don't need a superstar because I think that person is going to be facing, you know, they're not going to be getting double teams, so they're going to have opportunities to make plays. Right. It really comes down to one of three scenarios for the 49ers. You can either let him walk, you can sign him to a long-term deal, or you can franchise him and try to trade him. Those are really the three options the Niners have. So it comes down to which one are the Niners better off with in the long term. You can't sign him to a long-term deal. It, it is what it is. I, w- I would love the Niners to be able to, but based on what they're already paying on that defensive line, it doesn't make sense. You got D Ford. He's going to be costing over $16 million on the salary cap this next season. You got DeForest Buckner, who's scheduled to make about 14 and a half, but that's likely to change because he's likely to get an extension, but his extension is likely to be probably right around that cap hit at a higher average yearly amount. It's just the first year cap with the whole parag magic and everything will make it probably cost right around what what he's due to be made making already overall if you look at just between d ford and buckner you're looking at more than 30 million dollars as it sits right now and then you got yes he was a rookie 
Boza, but he's not going to be a super inexpensive rookie because he was the number two overall pick. Look at Solomon Thomas. He is due to count for $8.9 million on the cap next season in his fifth-year option. Boza was the number two pick three years later, which means you're looking at Boza getting into that six, seven, eight to $10 million range over the course of his contract. So if you add those three guys together, you're looking at over $40 million. You can't add a fourth guy there. You know, Armstead would put them into the mid fifties devoted just to four guys on the defensive line. Yeah. Armstead is, he's crown molding, you know, he's great to have if you can get him. But you're not you're not exceeding your budget to buy the house with crown moldings. Like you're just not going to do that. It's just not a smart decision. And you know, you mentioned the Bosa thing. I think that's important because if we've seen anything from the Bosas, they know their worth and they're not afraid to flex their muscles and exercise their leverage in order to get what they think that worth is. And so, you know, I know Parag is is has been a wizard really with working the cap and some of these contracts. I don't know if he's going to be able to have too much flexibility with Bosa. He might just be one of those guys where you you have to set the market for him. And so, like you said, you have to that impacts the rest of your roster. There's ripple effects there, right? So it comes down to we're both agreeing that they can't sign him long term. So do you franchise and try to trade, having the risk that he you have to pay him that franchise? Or do you let him walk? And I lean towards that first one, franchise and try to trade. Because really the franchise, what it's going to be at, I think it's estimated at like $15.5 million right now. The exact amount won't be known until the salary cap is known. But that's about what you're going to have to try to pay him per year. Because when he hits the open market, I think he's going to be getting in that 12 to 15 range, depending on if there's a team out there that loves him. So the salary cap isn't that horrible, or the, the franchise isn't that horrible. You could make it work if you had to. It's just not what you want, and they should definitely be able to trade him. We've just seen last offseason two guys in very similar situation get traded. One of them is D Ford. He got traded for a second-round pick, and that's the guy I compare him most to because the other guy is Frank Clark. Frank Clark was much more established in terms of greatness, whereas D Ford was coming off a career year just like Armstead. So it would seem like with Armstead's track record being so similar to four that that's the value you're looking at well of course then you you take the risk and you get a second round pick can't find a second round pick you should be able to get something for him it's an interesting comparison to d ford and armstead d ford did have two seasons of double digit sacks as opposed to armstead who basically just has the one um i i'm just worried that they're going to get stuck with him if they franchise him that's my only worry because i just think that you cannot go crazy with him with when it comes to to money excuse me i just don't think he's an impact player like some of those other guys on the 49ers defensive line and they have other decisions to make and you know let's let's look at some of those other ones because when you when you talk about should they resign this guy should they not resign that guy you have to look at you know there's only so much money to go around here so let's look stay on the defensive side of the ball jimmy ward at safety you know he's had injury issues broken bones um but he played really well this year, 13 games. He, you know, the, the talk about the 49ers defense was that they don't allow a lot of big plays deep down the field for the most part. And he was a huge reason why. I personally think that they should keep him. I don't think he's going to be super expensive. And I think he's a key part of that defense. I think he's harder to replace than Eric Armstead. So to me, Ward stays. What do you think? It all depends on what he's going to demand. Because I think, 
part of the problem is going to be is the Niners will not want to pay him big money. And the safety market has gone through, I wouldn't call it a renaissance. It's, it, it, it's exploded in recent years. And you can just go right back to last season when a lot of guys were getting big dollars out of that safety market. An above average free safety is making very good money these days. And one example I had was Adrian Amos of Green Bay last year. Their stats are actually quite similar. Amos had very consistent uh, his first four years, whereas Ward has obviously had all the injuries. But overall, talent-wise, they're pretty similar. They're above average. They're not necessarily stars. Amos got $36 million over four years, $9 million per. You can't pay Ward that. If that's what Ward's going to come out wanting, you got to let him walk. So it, it to me, Ward is the number I had was $6.5 million. If he's willing to sign for an average yearly salary of $6.5 million or less, keep him. If he's going to go out there and want big money, you got to let him walk. Yeah, I, I kind of have to agree with that. I mean, he's it's interesting. I feel like the Niner defense is almost greater than the sum of its parts. Like when I look at, at Jimmy Ward, he's he's a very good player. He's not a superstar. When I look at what he does for the defense, I think his value increases. And I think I like his versatility, too, in the secondary. I know that he said he wants to stay at one spot, but. I do think that you know it, it's always beneficial to have that versatility with so many injuries now that you might have to deal with throughout a season. I don't know. I look around the league and I'm like, who's going to shell out $9 million a year for Jimmy Ward? Is there really a team out there? And I, I feel fortunate that the 49ers have retained so much of their coaching staff too because a lot of times what happens in these scenarios is position coaches leave, they get a job as a defensive coordinator somewhere else, and then they say, oh, Jimmy Ward's going to be a free agent. I had him in San Francisco. I loved him. He's great. Let's pay him $9 million a year. You know, he can help teach my defense to the other guys. That didn't really happen with the 49ers. So I think that's a factor, too, that in terms of what is the market for Jimmy Ward, I don't know that another team is going to be, you know, breaking down his door and ready to throw $9, $10 million at him. Yeah, I mean, part, part of what could help the Niners in this situation is so many teams did just go spend big money on safeties <laughs> last season. But there are nine guys with the last one being Amos, who makes $9 million more or more per year playing safety. Wow. So if you say Ward is a guy that's in an above-average starter, that means you're looking right around that 8 to $9 million mark, which would put him right around 10th in the league. That's too expensive to me. And it really just depends on where Ward is at. Because if he's willing to take a little bit of a team discount, great. If he's willing to recognize that even in his career year, he still missed three games due to injury that you can get him. But if he's going to be unrealistic about it, you got to let him walk. And I, that, that's part of the problem is, as it sits right now, it, nobody really has a good gauge on the situation in terms of outside of the organization. Well, let's, let's look at that sort of take a 10,000-foot view of things. You know, when Kyle Shanahan was hired, I think you would agree that the prevailing sense was that the 49ers would have to overpay free agents to get them to come here, given that just the absolute chaos that the team was in at that point. Now, obviously, with Shanahan and the success they've had recently, we've even seen 49ers, we've seen Jerick McKinnon say, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to stay. Eric Armstead said he wanted to stay too. Do you think that the 49ers now are in a position where they can go to some of these guys and say, hey, look, this is the situation we're in. You know we're a really good team. We're in the Super Bowl window. We need you to take less. Do you think that that is something that the team has in their bag? Yes, and it's not just because they're winning. I think part of it is the culture. 
You know, the, the players, tr- this, this, I think more so than any other team in the league, seems like a cohesive unit, that they truly get along, that they're friends, they're not just guys who can get along and work together. Uh, and you, you see that with like the Niner gang things and hot boys things and things like that. So I think that they they are an attractive destination. And I think there is something to be said for Kyle Shanahan. He's a young, I mean, it's using outdated language, but he's a young hip coach that I think relates very well to this generation of players because he's very much like them in a lot of ways. So he fits in and, and players love to play for guys like that rather than the old school, you know, I, I'm your drill sergeant type of coach. That's not Kyle Shanahan. So I think that also helps the Niners in this situation. I think there are discounts that they'll be able to find out there, just whether or not there'll be a safety out there at a discount. Is there anyone else on the defense that you want to get to before we go to the offensive side of the ball? I will say because you're letting Armstead go, Hey, Blair should not be that expensive. He's somebody that's capable of starting if you can't find better. And he's, if he's not starting, he's a great depth piece as he proved last year before injury. I mean, I, I think they could probably sign him for three, four million per year. I agree. And I think he would, I think he would outperform that contract pretty, pretty quickly, especially playing with the other guys on that defensive line. All right, let's go to the offensive side of the ball. Now, clearly the number one biggest name when it comes to free agents for the 49ers on offense, is Emmanuel Sanders. He comes in with the trade from Denver, coming off an Achilles injury, and looks unbelievable. I've never seen anybody come off an Achilles injury and look as good as Emmanuel Sanders did for the 49ers this year. Kyle Shanahan himself has said that not only did Sanders play well, but he sort of took the pressure off some of their other younger wide receivers. He was a complete boost to the offense. He was a critical player for them, especially on third downs this year. But He's on the wrong side of 30, and he's not going to be cheap, Levin. Emmanuel Sanders, you're John Lynch. Emmanuel Sanders walks in the room and says, Coach, uh, GM, John, what are you doing with me? What's your answer? If you're willing to take a very big, steep discount, we'll keep you around. I don't think this – I like Sanders a lot, and I actually – there was a video that j- just came out today uh, going viral on Twitter that I saw where he was – really kind of guiding these guys and being a mentor to them and kind of teaching them how to be an NFL wide receiver. And the Niners do kind of need a vet like that. Problem is with the salary cap situation and the the uh, re-ups they need to do with Kittle and Buckner and potentially some other guys, I don't think they're going to have the cap space to devote the money that Sanders is going to want. Because I think Sanders can probably still demand 8 to $10 million per year over a two to three year contract. I don't think the Niners can afford that. I think they need to look for a cheaper option, find a vet guy who has speed because that's what that wide receiver group is lacking who will come in at 5 million or so. Find that vet who's just looking for maybe a one or two year cheap deal for one last hurrah. If Sanders is willing to be that, great, but I don't think he is. That's Yeah, I think you summed it up nicely. The unfortunate thing for the 49ers is their most important offensive free agent is also the free agent who's going to have the biggest market. Because I think there are a bunch of teams across the league that look at Emmanuel Sanders and say, this is exactly the kind of guy we need to bring in. And I think they would be willing to pay him what you're talking about because of the production that he had in San Francisco. And even with Denver, he looked good also before, you know, if you want to say, well, Kyle Shanahan's great. Well, he still looks good in Denver too. The only 
knock I have on Sanders is that he's going to cost too much money. I think the production was there. He fit in perfectly with the offense and with the culture like you talked about. My worry is, like you said, if you have to let him go because he's just out of your budget, that's a big void that you have to fill. And you can't fill it through the draft because you need a veteran guy with speed. I don't know where you go to replace that. And maybe Kyle Shanahan says, look, we replace it in a different way. We replace it with, you know, Jalen Hurd and Debo and horizontally and things like that. But Shanahan himself has sort of acknowledged that he needs that speed guy. He thought it was going to be Marquise Goodwin. It wasn't clearly. They had to go out and get Sanders. So he needs that piece in his offense, but you can't pay what it's going to cost to keep Sanders to get it. This is where the Kyle Shanahan being attractive to free agents comes in biggest, in my opinion. There are vet speed guys out there. They're not they're not going to be guys that are going to come in and put up 1,000 yards. They're probably not even going to be guys that come in and put up 800 yards. The Niners don't need that. And that's one of the things that I think is working against Sanders returning is Debo emerged late in the season. So the Niners kind of have that clear-cut number one, in my opinion. Debo's certainly looking like a wide receiver on that trajectory. Plus, they have guys like you mentioned, Jalen Hurd coming Jaylen back. Hurd, yeah. And while I don't count him, I'm not counting him for anything because of the injury history and he hasn't played really in two years, but you also have Trent Taylor supposedly doing well and looking like he's going to come, going to be able to make a comeback. So, so you have some depth there. You just need one speed guy. You don't need to spend eight to 10 million for it. And while the Niners don't have mid round picks, that doesn't mean they can't trade a future one to get into the mid rounds this this year in what is the deepest wide receiver class in a long, long time. That's fair. That's a good point. And, you know, you would assume, you'd like to assume that that number one that they would trade would be a low one because hopefully they'll be back in the playoffs again. Let me throw one name at you. Uh, what do you think of Robbie Anderson as a possibility? Clearly speed, clearly an absolute deep threat. It's pretty much the only thing he does as a wide receiver, but he does fill that role of the guy that can take the top off the defense. And I don't think he's going to be, he's certainly not going to cost you what Emmanuel Sanders would cost you. Yeah. See, I don't know about that because he's kind of a unicorn. He reminds me of like Terrell Williams almost last year. He's a bigger receiver who has ridiculous speed and has proven that he can get open deep and have some big plays. The projections that I've seen from spot track and other websites is I think spot track actually has them right at, eight to 10 million per year is what they're expecting. Now they're not exactly perfectly accurate. It's really hard to predict that type of thing, but he is that type of guy that teams overpay for because he is a big receiver. Who's also a speed receiver. Teams go crazy for that in free agency. Six, three, 190 pounds, blazing fast. Five touchdowns last year, six the year before, seven the year before that. He averaged 15 yards per catch last year for the Jets and you know, their offense and all the quarterback issues they had throughout the year. He still averaged that much. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, I like your point about Shanahan you know, sort of being attractive to other guys. I, I think that's, that is definitely a factor. Um, you heard the, some of the things that I think Emmanuel Sanders was saying about like, you know, he meets Kyle Shanahan and he's like, damn, this this guy's got cool sneakers. This guy's like, he's a young, cool guy. I think that that resonates with guys, even older guys like Sanders. Now, other guys on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Matt Breed is a restricted free agent. 
he disappeared down the stretch of the season, you have to assume that they're just going to let him go, right? Yeah, it's crazy to think that because, man, even in like week 14, I think it would have been unanimous in the fan base and everywhere else that, no, he's restricted. You can easily keep him because the tag that they likely have to use to designate him in order to keep him would cost them $3.3 million in the salary cap. You can't designate that. Not with the ability for guys off the street to come into this Kyle Shanahan offense and do well running the ball. You already got Raheem Mostert, who's going to be making right around that. You got Jeff Wilson, who could be brought back super cheap. And you're going to have to make a decision on Coleman, because he's $4.9 million. And then you got McKinnon, who publicly said that he, he's willing to take a huge pay cut to come back. And I actually laid that out in an article I wrote about a week and a half ago where, you know, as it sits right now, McKinnon's due to count like $8.6 million against the cap. There's no way that's staying. But if the Niners cut him, he still has a dead cap hit of $4 million. Now, if the Niners cut him and he goes to free agency, he's not getting anywhere close to that. He hasn't played mm-hmm. it down in two years. And he knows that. And he knows that. So I think a very fair compromise for both sides is the Niners giving him a two-year, $6 million total contract where the Niners can save money because then his cap hit comes down to $3 million instead of the $4 million of just cutting him outright. McKinnon gets a chance to redeem himself with the fan base and the team, and at the same time, he gets more than he would in free agency. It's kind of a win all around. If they can do that, Reed is gone. Yeah, I think, honestly, when it comes to running backs with this this team i think in general this is my philosophy when it comes to running backs but specifically with this team you play it at our number or you're done we will never pay a running back in this system and i don't think the 49ers ever should you can always draft a guy shanahan knows exactly what he wants from running backs exactly the skill set he's looking for there's no shortage of really fast one cut running backs coming out of college every single season as much as we like these guys and it you know when Raheem Mostert runs for 200 yards in the playoffs and looks amazing, it's easy to get attached. But I think you you got to be dispassionate about it. And that when you, especially when you have to pay so many other guys, there has to be a few spots on your offense where you just rotate guys in and keep the assembly line moving. And I think running back has to be that for the 49ers. So let this be the end of this because I know it's coming. It's off season is always long. It's always full of stupid rumors that last way longer than they should. And I've already seen this guy's on the market, and there were fans wanting him last year. Let's put an end to Le'Veon Bell having Ugh. any shot of becoming a Niner, because I know it's coming. I know that's going to be a talking point. For what like what <laughs> possible reason? Raheem Mostert was way better than Le'Veon Bell last year, and I think part of that was how Gase used him. But no, like that would just be a complete... We were talking about crown moldings. I mean... Le'Veon Bell is like a heated bathroom floor. Like, you really don't need him. Yeah. I'm just putting that out there that, no, don't even go there. Because I know it's coming. I'm just trying to get out in front of it. At this point, with the contract Le'Veon Bell has, he's not even a heated floor. He's a hot tub with a leak. (laughs) You might still be able to use it, but you don't want to. (laughs) And you know it's going to screw you over at some point. All right. Uh, anyone else on offense that you want to get to in terms of free agency that you think the Niners have to look at to keep? I feel like those are the biggest names. Yeah, I don't think there's really anybody else. There's some obvious guys who are going to become free agents who are still under contract at this point, but there's I nobody. Marquise Goodwin. <laughs> yeah. 
there's nobody else out there that I think they they have to that is scheduled to leave that they have to make sure they keep. Do you think that Tevin Coleman could be a surprise cut if they are able to rework something with McKinnon? They have Mostert. Do you think they say Tevin? Adios. Yeah. See, that was one of our topics. Any surprise cuts you see out there? And I literally sat in my recliner for about ten minutes going through all the guys like starting at the highest salary for next year cap hit, I should say, mm-hmm. and going down the list, the guys that are going to cost a lot against the cap for the Niners are either you have to keep them. No way in heck can you let them go. Or they're already assumed gone by every single person out there. You know, the marquee's good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the only one that has any kind of significant cap hit that is a question mark is Tevin Coleman. So literally all I wrote down in my notes was Tevin Coleman question mark because he's literally the only possibility because all the other ones that are expensive are you can't, there's no way you can cut them or they're not worth enough. It's funny because there was a point this year where we were like, why is Tevin Coleman starting? Let Mostert start a point that was almost all season. And, and, (laughs) but yet Coleman had some big games for them in some key spots. He actually played well. Um, to me, that's not enough for him to, to keep them. Again, my running back philosophy, churn these guys through. Tevin's great, but there's a lot of guys just like him. I, I would say cut him. Now, this is, I think, part of it, part of the decision, will, this is going to play a huge role in. If the Niners choose to let Brita walk, Jeff Wilson is also a free agent. Are they comfortable going into the offseason with just Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson under contract? Or are they comfortable going into the season with just Raheem Mostert potentially under contract? That's a lot to replace, and you might not be able to find the depth you need because these small speed guys do tend to get banged up, and we've already seen that. Every single one of these four guys has had injury problems just this past season. I think Jeff Wilson was the only one that was technically healthy all season, but that's because he was on practice squad for part of the season and almost never played. So... Do you really want to go into an offseason with only one or two of those guys? Or do you keep one of the other ones around so that you're only looking for one other cheap thing? It, it, it all depends, I think, on... I think McKinnon is the big swing one here. If McKinnon comes back cheap, Coleman is gone. If McKinnon can't be agreed to and he ends up being cut, Coleman has to be kept. Which I'm sure is exactly how the 49ers are going to play it. I mean, you, you talk to both agents and you say, look, these are the... Your guy and this other guy are the two we're debating. Whoever reaches our terms first is going to be the guy that stays. Is it going to be you or is it going to be the other guy? Um, so I'm sure they'll they'll play that game. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, sorry, we were talking about Emmanuel Sanders and the wide receivers. If Sanders is too expensive for them, do you think Kendrick Bourne is ready to step up into a bigger role with this team? Because there were points where I was crushing Kendrick Bourne, particularly after that first Seattle game when he let a ball bounce off his hands right into the hands of a Seattle defensive back. But he also made some key plays down the stretch for the team, and they seem to like him a lot. And he's one of their bigger receivers also. What do you think his role can be if he if Sanders is gone? I don't think he's one. He's not quite got the speed to be what the offense needs. They need a true speed guy, not a guy who has decent quickness and decent speed, which is what Bourne is. He, he's one of those receivers. He he's kind of decent all around. He doesn't necessarily have anything that's terrible other than mental lapses when it comes to catching the ball. Mm-hmm. But he's one of those guys. 
can he step up? No, I, I don't. He is what he is, which okay. is a guy you want on your roster who can step in and have a big role every so often or fill in for a guy who got injured. But he's never going to be a 60, 70 catch guy that you can count on. He, he's going to be a 30 to 40 catch guy depth piece. So he's a guy you definitely need on your team. But if he's your best guy, you're in trouble. Even if he's your number two, I would say. Even even going down to like number three, I think he's a guy that you're okay with him being a number four. You would love him to be a number five. If he's your number three, those top two guys better be really good. All right, so those are some of the free agent decisions the 49ers are going to have to make on offense and defense. Let's shift it a little bit to positional needs. And I know a lot of this depends on some of the free agency decisions, Levin, but as you see it right now, what are the biggest positional needs for the Niners going into 2020? Right. So what I got written down is obviously DT or safety if they let those two big guys walk. Outside of that, I think the three positions, they are going to be a need regardless of anything else that can happen at this point is offensive guard, I think is a need. Cornerback is a need because there's not much depth there. And Sherman is going to be aging, and this might be his last season. You need to get a guy in the system and ready. And as we've already talked about, wide receiver. Those are the three biggest needs, in my opinion. Wide receiver, cornerback, offensive guard. I literally have the exact same thing written down on this pad in front of me. I think interior offensive line is the biggest need for them. I mean, we saw it in the Super Bowl. Interior pressure led directly to Jimmy Garoppolo's first interception. Interior pressure was a problem for the Niners all season long. Uh, They just, as good as they are at the tackle spots, they're that bad on the interior offensive line. And if I'm not opposed to, and I know we're going to get into this with the draft, but, you know, I know they don't have a ton of picks, but if you see a guy that's talented enough, I don't care that you don't trade down and get more picks. You got to grab them because the number one wrecker of an offensive game plan is pressure up the middle, especially when you consider the division that the 49ers are in. You got to play Aaron Donald twice a year. You have to be able to protect up the middle, and they couldn't do it last season. So we can't address this, I don't think, without going into the draft because the positions of need, I think, are the things they should be targeting in the draft. And that, to me, is offensive guard. The draft, I think there should be a very clear plan, and that is to go offensive guard early, but not necessarily at 31, because they should be trading down. This draft is lining up perfectly for the Niners to trade down if they're targeting a guard. Supposedly, and I know it's early in this, which is why we're not going super deep into the draft yet, because we're waiting on the combine to happen. But from what I read from multiple sources, multiple websites, there's no clear-cut first-round offensive guard in this draft. However, there's literally six to seven guys that, depending on how the combine goes, they think will be second-round caliber guys. That's perfect for the Niners to trade down. Trade down into the second, pick up another mid-round pick while doing that, and you can get your offensive guard that you could have gotten a 31 in the middle of the second, and you get that mid-round pick to address another position, whether it's cornerback, wide receiver, or whatever. I think that has to be their strategy going in, unless some crazy thing happens where you know Judy falls and you got yeah. a wide receiver sitting at staring at you at 31. 
something crazy like that happening. I think that's what they need to do. This is a draft that lines up perfectly for them to do what they need to do. They need more draft picks, and they need an offensive guard. It's a perfect draft for it. The only thing is, if you keep that first-round pick and you use it on that offensive guard, you get to keep him for the extra year with the fifth-year option. Now, that may be changing because the CBA could be different and they may be changing the rules where if you if you make the Pro Bowl twice in your first you know, four years, then your fifth-year option becomes the price of the franchise tag. It's all complicated stuff. So I'm just saying the fifth-year option may get more expensive, but I, you know, there's something to be said for sneaking back into that first round like the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson and you get him for that extra fifth year. For a quarterback, yes. For an offensive guard, one of the, the lowest paid positions, no, you you don't need that. The, that to me, I mean, w- just take it on its face. Compare the two options. Trade down into the early to mid-second and get a guy of pretty much equal caliber based on projections as it sits now, plus a third-round pick or take the guy at 31 to get the fifth-year option. What that's saying is that is that fifth-year option worth more than say the third round pick you could pick up. I don't think so. Because if the guy's that great, you're going to want to sign him anyways. You're not going to want to just have a fifth year option with him. Well, that also assumes that the third round pick is going to be good. <laughs> if he stinks, then it's not so good. Hey, the more lions you got in the sea, the more chances you got to get a fish. Lions in the sea? Lines. Oh, lions. Fishing okay. lines. Not yeah, lions. See, I was like, what the hell is he talking about? We're not lions, in Detroit there, bud. Well, Lion, which, by the way, lions are the king of the jungle, yet they live in the savannah. I don't know who the hell came up with that one. But I have, and maybe this is just my homerism, but I have so much faith in this front office to find good draft picks, especially in the later rounds. I know they don't have a ton of early round picks, but they've got picks in the later portion of the draft, and that's been a pretty good area for this front office. I, I feel really comfortable that they don't have to trade down from one to get extra picks because they've been so good at picking guys in rounds four and five. Well, they, well the problem is, is they're, they're, they're going, yeah, they're going from one to two picks in the fifth round and they're not likely to get a, a comp pick because they didn't lose any big free agents. I think they have to, whether it's say in the third round, trade a future third and seventh or something like that to get into the third round or trading down. They need more picks especially with where they're at in the salary cap. They need cost-controlled players. Cheap labor, yeah. Yes. Whether it's Even if it's just depth pieces, because you're not going to find... Let me put it this way. The hit-or-miss percentages of cheap vets who couldn't find the contract they were looking for and are signing a one-year deal is about as large as your mid-round pick. I mean, look at Jason Verrett. <laughs> Amounted to nothing. That's the type of gambles you're taking with your roster spots by trying to play it cheap in free agency rather than going into the draft. That's fair. And all those guys have warts. And Jason Verrett's injury history was like incredible. Uh, it was amazing the guy was even walking, let alone trying to play football again. Um, yeah, you kind of convinced me. I hate to admit it because I don't like to be convinced of anything. But the, that's what people I don't, I don't think understand about the draft. Especially they look at it and they say, oh, I watched the first day, maybe the second day, and that's it. Hitting on your draft picks, especially in your late round, is a huge factor into how fast your team gets good, 
and how long they can sustain that window. I mean, you look at the Seahawks. Part of the reason the Seahawks have been so good for so long is because a lot of their best players came in rounds three through five, and, and some, sometimes even six. They had an incredible run where they were plucking guys out of those late rounds that became all pros for them. That is such a boost for your team. It makes it so much easier to assemble talent on your roster because you can pay guys in free agency at superstar guys and you can re-sign guys because you've got so many guys on their rookie deal that are really good for you. Right. And, and you also got to factor in that this regime, I think, has been pretty good about finding offensive linemen. You know, look at school. He he managed to fill in as a rookie and he was, what, a, what was he, fifth round pick last year? And he filled in in big situation when Staley was hurt and the Niners were actually down both tackles at one point. And he did all right for a rookie. And that's a fifth round pick. I think the Niners, or I should say Shanahan, knows the type of especially interior offensive lineman that fits his scheme. They got to be big mobile guys. They got to be able to, to run that outside scheme, which means your guards are doing a lot of pulling and they got to be a little quicker. And from what I've seen, there's a couple prospects who are in that second round area that fit that mold. And I'm throwing a name out there just so that if it ends up happening in a couple months, <laughs> I can pat myself on the back in a future podcast. I'm putting out Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan. He's got 31 starts, so he's experienced, which will be important because he's going to be expected to start. He's big. He's over 300 pounds, but he's considered a very, very good athlete with good strength that fits this Shanahan mold to a T, and he's expected to be right around a second-round pick. You know, you talk about that Shanahan mold, and part of me is a little worried because you, we heard Kyle this season talk about Patrick Mahomes. And he admitted himself that they did not look at him close enough when he was coming out in the draft. And the reason is, is because Kyle Shanahan had his heart set on Kirk freaking Cousins. And he was, Cousins fit his mold that you're talking about, right? A guy that's going to go out, do exactly what you say, run the offense, will stay in the pocket and take a big hit to deliver a throw when he needs to. And, and he was locked in on that. And he passed up the greatest quarterback in the game right now, who, of course, just beat them in the Super Bowl. Do you think Shanahan gets too tunnel vision on guys? And this is what I want, and I know what I want, that maybe he doesn't see some guys right in front of him that may be you know, key contributors in his offense. That's where John Lynch is supposed to come in. I mean, that, that's John Lynch. Well, where the hell was he two years ago? Yeah, with, with Joe Williams you're talking about? Yeah. With Joe Williams and, and Solomon, I mean, Mahomes. Mahomes was there. So was Deshaun Watson. See, with Solomon Thomas, maybe I'm missing the boat on it, but I've always seen that more of a John Lynch pick because that was the high-motor Stanford guy with extremely high character who they wanted to set the tone for that locker room. And I think that was very much a Lynch pick. Could be. That's, that could be fair. That's something maybe 20 years down the road we might find out. But when Shanahan says, I didn't look at Mahomes closely enough, I mean, what if he did? And then he realizes, John, this, this is a generational guy. This is a once-in-a-lifetime guy. Screw Solomon Thomas. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. 
John Lynch serves at the pres- uh, the pleasure of Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's John Lynch's boss, even though Lynch is the GM. We all know that, right? I mean, we're willing to admit that. I, I think I think when push comes to shove, yes, Shanahan is the boss. But I think they're both adult enough, and that's part of the dynamic that allowed the Niners to rebuild so quickly. That if one of them says, "Hold on, I firmly believe this," the other one will listen. They can swallow that ego and listen, which is what it takes to have a GM and coach relationship like they have. Do you think there was a point in that draft where Lynch said, look, we got to have Solomon Thomas, who, by the way, I want to be fair to the 49ers. Everybody praised when they made that pick. Everybody said this is the can't miss prospect of the draft. Um, But do you think there was a point where Kyle said, look, I gave you Solomon Thomas. You're drafting Joe Williams. I think that draft, yes, George Kittle came out of it, but, I think that that draft, in a lot of ways, was a teaching lesson for them. They learned, don't fall in love with a guy. Be open-minded. And that's why their past two drafts have been, can't say better, because Kittle's such a big home run, but they've been more complete. They've hit on more picks than they did in that first draft. And it's because they didn't fall in love with guys saying, I don't care, we're making sure we get that guy. That, to me, has changed some. So I think they will be more open-minded. And I think if Kyle is falling in love with a guy, Lynch is willing to call him out a little bit. That's the that's what I'm getting at with the relationship. They're able to call each other out and not get in a hissy fit like a former coach would have when his <laughs> GM was arguing with them. Oh, I mean, you talk about George Kittle redeems that entire draft. Here's the first four picks from that draft in 2017. Solomon mm-hmm. Thomas, Reuben Foster. Akella Witherspoon, C.J. Beathard, that's the first four. Then it's Joe Williams, George Kittle, Trent Taylor, D.J. Jones, and two other picks, one of which was Adrian Colbert. But, I mean, Kittle, without Kittle, that draft is a, it's a complete wash. It's a complete waste, basically. Now, the two yep. years since then have been amazing, but... You know, the funny part is, after their rookie season, that draft, Looked like the biggest home run of a draft you could ever have. Solomon Thomas was a disappointment, but Ruben Foster as a rookie was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. You got Akella Witherspoon, who was a starter already. You got George Kittle. You got, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that were in there. Uh, Taylor. Colbert was a starter. Taylor yeah. looked great as a rookie. It was like a huge home run, and now every single one of them other than Kittle is falling off for different reasons. Some injury, some just not being good, to put it frankly. But before we move on, I wanted to get this out there since I said trade down. I did go look to try to find something that would be comparable so that our listeners can have this in their mind of what the Niners can expect. Because I think when it comes to trade down, some people forget that trading down out of the back end of the first round is not like trading down at the front end. So you got to be realistic. And I I did find I had forgotten about this this trade until I looked it up and I was like, well, geez, that's perfect. In 2018, the Eagles were drafting 32nd and they traded out of it. They traded the 32nd pick and the 132nd pick. They got the 52nd pick, the 125th pick, and a 2019 second. So basically, they moved down 20 spots into the second round. They moved up seven spots in the fourth round and they picked up a future second round pick. Now that's not great for the Niners necessarily because they're wanting more picks this year when they don't have any. 
but it is possible they have two fifth round picks to package that first and fifth to get like two seconds or a second and a third. Now, let me ask you this, because clearly your stance is trade down and get more picks. But let's you you mentioned it briefly. Let's say it gets to 15. And one of those receivers, for whatever reason, has fallen, whether it's rugs. I doubt it's going to be Judy, but, you know, whoever the case may be, one of those guys is there. Are you in favor of giving up maybe next year's one in a package to move up or maybe next year's one in a three? You know, some combination involving next year's first round pick to move up to the middle of the first round to go get one of these stud wide receivers. Let me put this frankly to you. Hell no. And it's because of the depth of the wide receiver class. And the fact that wide receivers have a very high bust rate. Even guys that you thought were going to be great didn't turn out to be that that great of a receiver. And some of them were flat flopped. So to me, in a wide receiver class this deep, there's going to be a very good one sitting at 31. Why would you trade a future first to go up and get a guy that you think might be slightly better? There's plenty to pick from. I mean, this class literally has... 10 guys that could go in the first two rounds at wide receiver. I mean, and that might be undercutting it. So there's no reason to trade up to go get a receiver unless Judy is the only one that would make me hesitate because I see Judy as being a true once every five or six year wide receiver prospect. You know, the guys in, in the, I mean, he might not be this great. So don't take it as saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But, you know, he reminds me of that Larry Fitzgerald, Julio Jones, you know, can't miss guys because he has it all you know what the weird thing is about the 49ers and, and when it comes to wide receivers that's exactly the kind of guy the 49ers have had in their history the 49ers have had the three greatest receivers in nfl history on their team jerry rice terrell owens and randy moss they've all been 49ers at one point but you look beyond that the niners have not had great wide receivers in their history they really haven't it's it's sort of a weird dichotomy where they have like the best of the best and really not anyone super great after that when in terms of their franchise as a whole. So it'd be interesting to see if somehow the Niners ended up with, like you said, one of those once in a generation guys. Um, I don't if you're think Randy make- Moss, if you, before you move yes. on, if you're counting Randy Moss, you got to count Isaac Bruce now that he's a Hall of Famer too. Oh, you know what? I see Bruce. <laughs> and I forgot about Ike. Man. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Isaac. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to slight you there. All right, let's. I know we mentioned this briefly, but the last thing we wanted to touch on surprise cap casualties. Um, we mentioned a couple guys. You and I have talked about D Ford this season as potentially a guy that they could cut when you consider his knees and how they ain't going to get any better as the season goes along, especially if they go to 17 games, by the way. Um, <laughs> but D Ford, I mean, to me, We mentioned sort of everybody else, I feel like, but it would be a surprise to a lot of people if they cut him. It sounds like from what you've said, you don't think that they're going to do that. I don't think they will. If I was in their shoes, I would be strongly considering it, but I don't get the sense that they are because I think they view it as when they have D Ford and Nick Bosa, they're unstoppable on that defensive line. So I don't see them doing it this season. I will say, I think next season is quite likely to be his last season because his dead cap hit goes even lower and they can start saving enough money on the cap 
to where they can get a guy of equal caliber there. I do think that the, the 49ers realized exactly why and how they're good. They know that, like you said, when it's Bosa and Ford, they just wreck offensive game plans. And they know offensively, they thrive on running the ball and play action completions over the middle of the field. They get that. They see that that's why that they're good. So I agree with you that they'll probably keep D Ford for another year. I would understand if they cut him, but now you're really creating a hole for your offense because you've got a lot to replace there because you have to get someone in that spot that's going to be able to rush the passer if you want to have the same type of defense that you had last year. And honestly, I don't think that that person is available unless you happen to hit a home run somewhere in the draft, and you can't really bank on that. Yeah, well, I mean, there is, like, Clowney's going to be out there, but he's going to probably be way priced out, out of the Niners' price range. He's going to be pushing probably $20 million a year, I would guess. But I do want to touch on one thing before we wrap this episode up, because I think it's an interesting topic, and I think from what I've seen on Twitter when I've made posts about it, fans are very delusional, some of them, when it comes no. to this. <laughs> And that is, what would you be willing to take in return for Solomon Thomas? A bag of cats. Like, what do you got? You know, yes. frequent fire miles, a Disney fast pass. What, I'll take whatever you got for Solomon Thomas. What are you afraid of losing? Right. That is the realistic and truthful take. But every time I've posted this, and I included it in, in the article I wrote, kind of looking at, at the salary cap situation, you know, he's fifth year option is going to count for 8.9 you're like and guys were posting on the articles twitter thing and, and on the article itself in comments saying yeah they should trade him for a third round pick or they should trade him for a fourth round pick it's like you would be lucky to get a seventh round pick at this point because you got to put yourself in the other team's shoes they don't care he was the third overall pick what they care about is he's a guy that can't earn a starting job hasn't looked great when he's gotten chances, because he has had chances in the past, not so much as past season, but certainly in those seasons before that. So you're looking at the acquiring team spending draft capital to get a guy who's going to cost a lot of money. 8.9 million is a lot of money on the cap that they won't know if he's going to be starting quality. And if he does somehow emerge, because there's a lot of people out there that think he's better in the three, four system, he somehow emerges on a 3-4 team and looks great. Guess what? You got to give him the big free agent contract right away after that season. That I don't think they could get a 7th round pick. That's insane. I mean, that is utterly insane to think that anybody would give up a 3rd round pick for Solomon Thomas. He can't thrive when he's got Bosa on one side, Ford on the other, and Buckner on his hip. I mean, if you can't thrive it and flash in those conditions, when are you going to like Unless you're going to the XFL, he ain't going to shine. I'm sorry. Like, you are what you are at some point. Uh, I'm sure he's a good person. He seems like a great guy. I know he's been through a lot personally, and that's horrible. But strictly from the X's and O's standpoint, Solomon Thomas is is not going to give you a third or fourth round pick. No, I think Solomon Thomas is a guy that on bad teams, he could be a starter, but he would be a below average starter. And he's a good depth piece. You don't pay depth pieces. Nine million dollars a year. You pay him barely more than minimum. You pay him. I mean, put it this way. Here, here's a good analogy. If they were both free agents, 
both willing to sign for the same amount of money, who would you sign? Ronald Blair or Solomon Thomas? Oh my God, Ronald Blair, without exactly. even having to think about it. Before you could exactly. finish the sentence. Exactly. That's where yeah. his value is. Completely agree. Um, so I think that just about wraps it up for this pod. We're trying to take an early look at the offseason. I know there's, you know, we know there's a lot of dominoes that have to fall, but we wanted to kind of give you our initial thoughts before any real decisions were made. Um, you know, we want to do the combine is coming up. Shameless plug, PFT Live will be at the combine Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we should have some good stuff coming to you for that. Hey, but uh, you might be the last guys actually attending the combine. Supposedly that's the new trend. Well, yeah, that's true. I, I know that Vic Fangio is not sending anybody pretty much, and the Rams aren't sending guys. Um, they're changing the format. It's going to be really – they're putting all the workouts at night now, which is crazy because just real quick story. So we would go to the Combine, and Mike and I would go out to dinner, and from various times – at very, <laughs> Yeah, we would hold hands while we did it. Uh, no, at various times, like there would be guys from teams that would come to dinner with us, people on the coaching staffs of different teams. And we'd be finishing dinner and they'd be like, all right, we got to go because the player interviews are going to be starting pretty soon. And this is like 8.45, 9 o'clock at night. Now, I, I think they're going to put the player interviews earlier in the day because the workouts, the on-field workouts are going to be like prime time at night. So they're really changing the whole format of the combine. But correct me if I'm wrong, Levin, but the plan for us is... Take a week off next week, then the combine will happen, and we will have thoughts for you when the combine is finishing up and, and sort of take a deeper dive and look into the draft. Yeah, basically two weeks from when this podcast is going to be published, we're planning on coming on because that will be right around the last day of the combine, so we'll have a pretty good idea of where prospects are starting to settle into in terms of draft projections and get a better idea of what the Niners could be looking at. So that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, leave comments. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, I'm at, at Stats on Fire. Levin is at something I can never remember, which is... <laughs> Does Sports Bum. Right. I know it begins with duh, and then I sort of blank out. It's just like I don't remember phone numbers, and I don't remember Twitter handles, because it just says Levin on, the, on your name there when it comes up on my phone. But hit us up. We'd love to answer your questions, draft questions, free agency, whatever you want. Like I said, like, subscribe, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks with a deeper look at the 2020 NFL Draft.